Last couple of weeks, we've been in 1 Peter chapter 3. A number of weeks ago when I put all this together and began to think about what it was, and I've read Peter probably a, a dozen or so times, I began to unpack verses 1 to 7 of chapter 3, and I thought, wow, there's a lot in here that God wants to teach us. Some things that maybe you've seen before, others that you haven't, but there are some wonderful things that this particular section of Scripture teaches us. If you're new with us this morning, we have it online every week. About an hour or so after the service is over, it's online at butlercac.org. And you can go in and download and listen to it. Make sure you catch up. We spend hours in preparation. You spend 30 minutes listening. I spend 35 minutes in delivery. And so I just encourage you to go beyond what you have on Sunday morning. We really want to see people transformed by faith and growing in wisdom. And I know that's more than just what happens on Sunday morning. And it takes you a while to process information that I've unpacked in a pretty fast amount of time. And I also know that I speak very fast. And so uh, letting you process is something that's important for you to do. So I'd love for you to listen to them online and watch the things that God teaches you as you begin to explore and unpack the Word of God. I hope I never get over the fact that no matter how many different times I read a section of Scripture, I see something new that God wants to teach me out of it. And this is one of those that I want to share with you this morning that we've been in for the last few weeks. We're talking about marriage. And I know that it doesn't apply to everyone. Sometimes I'm always a little bit hesitant to talk about a specific subject that doesn't address everyone and you wonder what to do. And last night I received a text from a single gal, one of the most godly women I've met in a long period of time. And she said, man, I'm loving it. So keep on doing it. And I appreciate that because I know that everybody's at a different level. My intention is to never hurt you if you've been divorced before if you've lost a mate and, and you want to have another mate and all of those things, my intention is to help build marriages and strengthen relationships as God designed them to be. And so that's why we've been in this series and there's just so much richness out of these few verses that I want to share with you this morning. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Before we get into the text, I want to ask you a couple of questions, guys specifically. Those of you who are married or are seriously in a relationship and you're about to get married, I want to ask you this question. Do you have her all figured out? Do you find women pretty mysterious, or you've got them all figured out? How many guys find women pretty mysterious? Pretty intriguing, a little bit difficult to get or to understand. How many of you, if I were to ask you again, how many of you can read her like a book, or you wonder if you're even in the right library? Have you ever, I mean, some, some guys can do that. Man, they can read her like a book. They know her moods. They know her temperament. They know her personality. They can read the looks on her face. And other guys are going, am I even in the right library? Let me ask you some questions. Now turn your sermon notes over. Guys, I want you to fill it out. And I want her to watch over your shoulder, but I want you to sit and write. You've got a pen or a pencil or something like that. I want you to fill it out. If I were to ask you the question, what is her favorite restaurant, would you know what it is? Write it down. Tim, don't ask her what it is. Write it down. What is her favorite restaurant? Write it down. What about her favorite color? Write it down, guys, right now. Don't look at me, write it down. What is her favorite color? What is her favorite vacation spot? You know it, man, it just comes to you right like that. You don't even have to think about it, don't have to search online. You know exactly where you want to take her this summer or for that special anniversary. How many of you know her favorite movie? Okay, write it down, guys. All right, now, ladies, look over the shoulder. How many of them got them right? I mean, raise your hand. How many of them got it right? Well, that's pretty good. Three. <laughs> what Peter's going to say is, you, you ought to know that stuff. 
Do you know what makes her cry besides you? I mean, do you know what makes her cry? Have you ever found yourself saying something like this? Look, I'm not a mind reader. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Even if they don't say it, you think it. I'm not a mind reader. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what I was supposed to say. Tell me what I shouldn't have said. Tell me where we shouldn't have gone. I <laughs> Can I tell them the beacon story? I love... For, for we've been married almost 40 years. I love, every five years, I take my wife someplace different, get away. You don't know where you're going. Tell you what to pack, how long we're going to stay, and that's it. And plan it, and we have a lot of fun. Anniversaries, I also like to pick the place. So I'm, we always try to go someplace different. I'm, and I, please, if somebody works here, they're going to be really mad at me, so I apologize for that. But I'm looking at a very unique place, and I saw the Beacon Hotel and Restaurant, and I thought... <laughs> so you all been there? I didn't know. Brand new in town. I thought, wow, that sounds like cool. I mean, the advertisement looked great. So we drove up. Now, again, if you work there and love that place, I'm not here to insult you. It's just not what I expected. So we walked in and sat, nobody in a restaurant. We walked in, sat down, checkered tablecloth, like out of Mayberry RFD or Mayberry before that. And, and I, I didn't know what to do. So I mysteriously got a phone call. I'm so sorry. We have to leave right now. And we got up and left. <laughs> I took her to the Red Lobster after that. I said, okay, from now on, we'll work through this process together as to where we're going to go. One of the things that you probably have said, I'm sure as a man, or I'm sure as a woman, and have thought this, even though you may have not said it, but I'm sure you probably have, and the statement is this. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to what? Listen. I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. There's so many times that we guys, because we're fixers by nature, that we want to fix it. We want to solve it. We want to figure it out. And so many times the gal is just saying, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. You don't have to resolve it. You don't have to solve it. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to build it. You don't have to do anything. Just listen to what I'm about to say to you. Now, if any of that sounds familiar, if you've been in either end of that spectrum, if you've either known her perfect or you really have found her very mysterious, then what we're about to share with you this morning is going to hit you somewhere along the way. 1 Peter chapter 3 has some really powerful insights into the marital relationship. We're so used to being in Ephesians chapter 5, and we ought to be. Colossians as well, where Paul, both to the Philippians and to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, talks a lot about this relationship, especially to the Ephesians and Colossians. Peter addresses it as well. Very different vantage points that Peter takes us to. But what I love is that it's pretty honest. It's straight, pretty honest. It's honest. It is straight to the point in some respects. Now, I'm going to read the whole text today, but only concentrate this morning on verse 7. Wives, in the same way, we've already talked about what that same way refers to a couple of weeks. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them didn't believe the word, they would be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see what? Purity and reverence of your life. Beauty shouldn't only come from the outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of an inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great value in God's sight. Now, here's today's verse. Husbands, and now it's your turn. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as a weaker partner, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. 
The phrase live considerably with your wives means live in an understanding way or live in an understanding way or live with understanding. Wayne Gruden in his book on 1 Peter says that the knowledge Peter intends to understand here is a knowledge that would be beneficial to the relationship. A knowledge of God's purposes and designs for marriage. Understanding of a wife's desires, goals and frustrations. A knowledge of her strengths and weaknesses in official, in official, physical, emotional and spiritual realms. It just simply means figure her out. Try to understand what makes her tick. Not tick. You've already figured that out, I'm sure, somewhere along the way. But what is it that makes her tick? How is she wired? They're always different from us. They're all different from us, and God designed it that way. But if I want to have a godly marriage, I need to find out how she's wired. What I find fascinating about this particular section of Scripture is that Peter never says that to the wives. Ladies, you really need to figure them out. (laughs) We're not hard to figure out. They already know what we want. They already know how we're wired. But he specifically says to us husbands, guys, you really need to find out what she's all about. You need to find out how she's wired. You need to find out what she's all about. You ever notice that in this particular context, as God designed it, he speaks specifically to both of us. He never leaves one of us out. Guys, you want a great marriage? You want a marriage as God designed it? Then figure her out. Take time to get to know her in a very honest and genuine way. Classic book that I'm sure you've heard about before, Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. He lists in that particular context, similar to what his needs and her needs were last week, the, the five things that most people respond to with one another in regards to our love languages. They're not in order in any way at all, but most of us will have one or two of these that we enjoy most, we also give most. Number one is words of affirmation. Number two is what? Gifts. Number three, acts of service. Number four, spending quality time. And that quality needs to be underlined twice in your sermon notes. Spending quality time. And number five is physical touch. Now, if I were to ask you men, what is hers? I want you to write it down right now. What is her number one or number two love language that she enjoys? Write it down. And what are yours? Write yours down. Now, ladies, for a minute, look over to the guys. Did he get yours right? How many got him right? All right. I know what yours are. Acts of service and spending quality time. What I have found fascinating is that we usually give what we think they want, not always what they really want. And most of the time when we do that, there are a lot of guys that get it right. They know exactly what it is she likes. They know exactly what she enjoys. Some like words of affirmation better than gifts. And the list is endless as far as where they go in that process. But what happens so often is we usually give what we think they want, not always what they really want. And many times we give what we like to get, which is why we give that. Or what we feel capable of giving. And that's huge. It may not be what they want. It may not be necessarily their love language. But we only know what we're capable of giving instead of taking time to expand who we are and expand what they need. We give only what we're capable of giving as opposed to giving what they want. And specifically what they need within that context. I find it fascinating that two people can be married to one another and not really know each other. And then we wonder why the spark is gone in the relationship or why it feels like we're just living same address but miles apart. 
A lot of the reasons for failed marriages or struggling marriages center around the issues of the last two weeks. I want to be as honest as I know how. A lot of the reasons for failed marriages or struggling marriages center around these last two weeks, specifically even yesterday, last Sunday and today. To make a marriage last a lifetime, as they said in that video clip this morning, it takes an enormous amount of work, and most people don't want to honestly pay the price. And therefore, 50% of marriages fail both inside and outside the church. Remember I said a couple of weeks ago that that you ought not to date somebody seriously who doesn't know Christ, who isn't a believer. Scripture said, what fellowship does love ha light have with darkness? And we talked about the explanation of that and that third piece of you that's not being able to connect with your mate. I want to be really clear on this, as clear as I know how to be. Marrying a believer is no guarantee of a successful marriage. Just marrying a believer is no guarantee of a successful marriage. Just because somebody's a believer and says they're a believer, but you know they're not willing to do any of these other things is no guarantee of a successful marriage. Both fail, inside and outside the church, sadly at equal rate. It ought to be way different than that. Jesus Christ will change and can change anything. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But so often say, well, he's a believer. But he's not doing any of these other things. You know he's probably not going to do any of these things. He's never done any of these things up to this particular point. And you all of a sudden think somehow that's the magic bullet. Just marrying a believer isn't a guarantee of success in a relationship, which again points to the fact that half of them fail both inside and outside at equal rate. There's so many other things that go with that. It's one of the great qualities. When I do the seminar for premarital couples, it's, it's one out of seven things that are necessary. For the marriage as God designed it. Half of first marriages fail. Over 60% of second marriages fail. And the rate goes up and up as time goes on, depending on how many relationships you're in. One reason, number of reasons, one reason is those who won't work on the first one usually don't work very hard in the second one. Now, they say they will. They always say they will. <laughs> now, this is hard to believe, but they don't always keep their promises. Or they would have stayed because they promised forever in that one. Now, there are a lot of other extenuating circumstances. I totally understand that, and I totally get it. But knowing this too long to know there's a lot of other circumstances. But if you don't work on the issues that cause the first one to fail, and you only bring them in, it's, and I've seen them do it. They almost have these amazing suitcases that they pack up, they put them in, they bag all their stuff, and they carry it with them in the next relationship, and somewhere along the way they unpack it, and they don't do anything any different, and wonder why they don't have different results. Half of the marriages in the United States fail. Close to 20% just exist. Living at the same address, miles apart, never connecting with one another. They don't talk. They don't share. I tell the story at a premarital seminar a lot, but Con and I went to the Texas Roadhouse one night shortly after it opened. And <laughs> what is it with new restaurants in Butler? I mean, Rachel's Roadhouse, can you get in? I mean, I love that place. I love the food. But a two-hour wait in one sense, 45-minute wait, I don't wait that long for anything. But as you can, I know that's surprising for you. <laughs> Here's an idea, Cracker Barrel. Anybody have any great resources, open one up. I guarantee it will succeed in Butler. We love new restaurants. Go to the roadhouse, pretty full. We got in, sat down. This girl came over and served us. Watched us every once in a while. She'd come back a few times. And when it was all over, she came with a bill, and she said, I'm not sure who to give it to. I said, well, honey, what do you mean you don't know who to give it to? Well, I don't want to assume you're married. I don't actually think you are. <laughs> and I said, honey, I'm, not, I'm totally baffled by that. Do you know who I am? She said, no. Well, why would you not think we're married? She said, you talk the whole meal to each other. 
And she said, to be honest with you, I hardly ever have seen that. So for the next year after that meal, I watched at restaurants, couples talk, and that girl was pretty right. They don't. We exist, but we don't share, we don't talk, we don't unload. We have so much to talk about, so much to share, so much enjoyment in life to be able to explore in the context of marriage. One of the great places to do that is without distractions, is it a meal? Whatever that may be, it could find it in a ton of different places. But they don't connect, they don't share, and they wonder why it's not working. You want a great marriage? It's going to take an enormous amount of work. And for guys, that means you need to live with her in an understanding way. Find out as much as you possibly can. You and I as men, we take time to learn everything we can about our hobbies, our cars, our football, football, fantasy, golf, sports, hobbies, careers, whatever it may be. Guns, good night. I know everything I wanted to know about them. I can tell you why I would choose a Mossberg as a left-handed over a Remington 870 as the most popular one it is. I can tell you why guys will take a 30 out 6 over a 270 and why I chose 70mm mag. I can tell you why I would choose a 9mm and others would choose a 40 and a 45. I mean, the list is endless of the stats I have in my head. Most of it useless. But I can go on and on for the next 10 minutes about all the things that I know, and I can give you everything, every design, every degree, why I would do this or that, and why I've chosen this, why I have all those, and the list is endless. We know all the stats and the details that would sometimes blow you away. We work on our game, we practice. But when it comes to this great gift called marriage, we take it for granted. And I don't get that. Guys, you want a great marriage? It's going to take a lot of work. And you have to be willing to work. Peter says, matter of fact, you want your prayers answered. You want your prayers answered. Then you've got to work at it. You've got to live with her in an understanding way. You've got to know as much as you possibly can about her. He goes on to say, not only to live with her in an understanding way, but treat her with respect. Honor is another word that could be listed there. Which is why then that I'm going to learn as much as I can about her. Which is why I'm going to open the door for her. Which is why I wouldn't cheat on her. Which is why I wouldn't look at porn. It shows disrespect for women in general and an enormous amount of disrespect for her. Treat her with respect as the weaker partner has absolutely nothing to do with seeing them as inferior or less important. Which is why he adds the phrase at the end, they are joint heirs with us in this gracious gift of life. So that we interpret it within the context of strength. One translation that I read years ago, I tried to find it this week and I couldn't, but he said, treat her as a precious vase. I thought that's one of the best renditions of that phrase. We think weaker vessel when we see it as inferior or a crack or something that isn't good in design. And when he said that, treat her as something extremely valuable, as a precious vase. I thought, I've got to believe that comes closer to what Peter had in mind when he was saying, treat her with respect, live with her in an understanding way. Treat her as that valuable, something that we would put up something that we would make or that we would uh, emulate something that we would say is really valuable and very precious their value and importance in god's eyes and design is absolutely invaluable genesis 2 18 as god was finishing creation he signed every day he literally did i mean i i love scripture and he he signed it every day that's good and you can almost, I, I, I'd love to have somehow watched that process unfold i can't wait till i get in heaven hope there's a video of it I know it's on a DVD by then, but I, 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 just, I would just love it. And, and God would see his handiwork, and all of a sudden he would sign it by the end of the day saying, this is good. That was good. That was good. 
I mean, I've said that by sunsets and sunrises and all the stars last night. How about not last night? Because they said there was supposed to be a meteor shower. I froze to death, but I thought, this is awesome. I didn't see any, by the way, either, but it was cold. <laughs> Every day when God was done, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Then he creates man, and he said, no, it's not good. It's not complete. It's not done yet. Like the master craftsman saying, it's not finished yet. In Genesis 2, it says, so God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought it to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And now the master craftsman is done. In a book called Captivating, one of my favorite books, John and Stacy Eldridge says this, Eve is not an afterthought. She's not a nice addition like an ornament on a tree. She is God's final finishing touch. She is the crowning moment of creation. I read it in every wedding ceremony I've ever done since the first time I heard it in mine, where it says God in marriage is the first interpersonal relationship that man has ever known. Scriptures tell us that Adam was created first in a perfect environment surrounded by other living creatures, but something was missing, so God created another human being. Not a man just to have friendship with, but a woman to share his affections with. Not a man to compete against, but a woman to confide in. The woman was not created out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arms to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. That's God's design. Oneness, harmony, equality, headship, absolutely. But that's not the issue. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God said to them, multiply and subdue. God's design, co-regency, a team effort. The mission to be fruitful and conquer the earth and run the earth was given both to them. And God said to them, Eve standing right there when God gave the world over to us. A vital role to play. A partner to this amazing adventure that God has given us. God creates Eve. He calls her in Hebrew and Ezer Keneged. Not good for man to be alone. I will make him an Ezer Keneged. Hebrew scholar Robert Alter has spent years translating the book of Genesis, said there have been so many different attempts to try to interpret that word. Some will interpret as helper or help meet or companion, but none of them are sufficient. Get closer to translating it as it needs to be when, it says sustain, when he says sustainer beside him. The word easier is used over 20 times in the Old Testament. And in every situation, the person being described is God himself when we desperately need him to come through for us. Deuteronomy 33, there is no one like God who rides on the heaven to help you. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Psalm 33, wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Most of the context are life and death situation where God is our only hope, our easer. If he is not there beside us, we're not going to make it. Another translation of easer could be lifesaver. Connected means alongside or coming alongside or a counterpart. New Testament connection and the role of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete means to walk alongside, which, by the way, is why the voice of the Holy Spirit in your wife's voice sounds so much alike. There's a connection. Again, the book captivating that longing in the heart of a woman to share life together as a great adventure comes straight from the heart of God who longs for that as well. God doesn't want to be an option in our lives. He doesn't want to be an appendage. He doesn't want to be a tag along and neither does any woman. God is essential. He wants us to need him desperately. Your wife is essential with an irreplaceable role to play in the context of marriage. That was God's design from the beginning. And then came the fall, and the design is shattered. 
The woman, convinced that God was holding out on her, convinced that in order to have the best life possible, she had to take matters into her own hands, and so she did. And disobeying God, she violated her very essence. She was supposed to be Adam's Ezer Kenega, the one who comes to save, to bring him life. Instead, she invites him to death. Now, to be fair, Adam doesn't exactly ride to her rescue. Where's Adam when serpent is tempting Eve? Scripture said he's right there. Genesis 3, 6, she gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The Hebrew word for phrase for with her means right there beside her, elbow to elbow. He's not in some other part of the force. He's standing right there watching the whole thing unravel. And what does he do? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Doesn't say a word, doesn't lift a finger. He doesn't risk, doesn't fight, doesn't rescue. Our first Adam gave in to paralysis, denied his very nature and with pa- went passive and every man after him carries in his heart the same possibility of the same failure. You see the role played out every day. Men, just when you need them to come through for you, they check out, they disappear, they go silent and passive. The one common phrase that I hear more than any other phrase is, he just won't talk to me. He just doesn't talk. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why. He just doesn't share. And women who times if they're not careful, tend to be grasping, reaching, and controlling, often enchanted like Eve, falling so easily prey to the lies of the enemy. Having forfeited our confidence in God, we believe that in order to have the life we want, we have to take matters into our own hands instead of in His hands. Sin, selfishness, and passivity entered the picture and destroyed God's design, and marriage from that point on has suffered the consequences. The innocence emotionally and relationally and spiritually, the oneness, the co-regency is shattered. And then comes the curse. In Genesis 3, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. He shall rule over you. You'll fight against it. That is a result of the curse. That's not how God designed it to be. Headship before the fall, that's what God intended. Ruling over, dominating, that is not what God intended. Before the curse, mutuality, unity, submission to one another. Because of sin, male domination, female manipulation. And partners at war with one another. Sin, Satan, and society in an all-out war to destroy the home. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we address the brokenness? number of things. I've given you some scriptures to look up this morning. One is in Ephesians 5.18 that starts that famous passage where Paul said, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wife, respect your husband. It starts all the way back in 5.18 when he said, Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And the thing that has to happen before you're filled with the Spirit is commit your life to Christ. And then every single day of your life saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do. Help me in this situation. Help me in that circumstance. I lay myself completely available to you. Every part of my being, every fiber of my being, I commit to you. I want you to control my thoughts. I want you to control my actions. I want you to control my reactions. I want you to tell me what to do. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to constantly be filled with the Spirit. The English language doesn't do it justice when it said be filled with the Spirit because the original was be continually being filled with the Spirit, which means it's an ongoing, everyday process simply because we leak and we need to be refilled. So we don't take it for granted. He gives us as a challenge to every day of our lives, open ourselves up and say, God, I desperately need you. I want my marriage to be one that lasts forever. I want my marriage to be one that you design. I want my marriage to be one that I can pass on to my children. I want them to see Jesus in me. 
What a thrill it was the other night when my kids called and Seth, our grandson gets on the phone and says, Hey, Pap, Graham, I want you to light the cross on Sunday, except Jesus into my heart. I mean, you couldn't get a better call than that. And then the opportunity to pass that along to the next generation, to be able to say, God, I want so much for my kids and my grandchildren to see the, the love of Jesus in a home. I want them to know how to love a woman. I want them to know how to stay connected, stay committed. I want to see them follow this example. It's so rare anymore. In so many of the contexts, I love what God's done here. I mean, I had Melissa, one of our receptionists, give out a list of me of marriages that are coming to milestone ones. I, I, I just love the fact of knowing how many. And she listed them the other day. And in November, there was a, 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 at least eight or ten of them that have just in November that are celebrating over 40 years. December, another list that are celebrating 40 or 50 years. One of the gals told me this morning in the choir, her parents have married 69 years. I'm hoping to live that long, let alone get married, be married. They're just some great models. And, and the next generation so desperately needs to see that. And you and I have the opportunity to do that. Whether it's your first marriage or second, I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm just saying you've got a wonderful opportunity now. Bag the past. Forget going backwards for heaven's sakes. Deal with the issues, but now move forward and say, I want to really do this for the next generation. I want my kids to see what a godly marriage looks like. I want them to see the, the, the love that we can share, and I want them to be able to take that into their relationship. It begins by allowing myself to be open to God. It begins by being obedient to his word. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, love your wives like Christ Jesus loved the church. If I were to ask you, do you love your wife? Well, of course you'd say yes. But do you love her like Christ loved the church? That takes it to a whole other level. For now, all of a sudden, I become the servant. I've seen so many guys marry a maid as opposed to marrying a mate. Matter of fact, God, Paul is basically saying, if you had to love her like Christ loved the church, it means you as the man as the servant in a relationship. You're in it to serve as Jesus served the church and ultimately gave his life for the church. Husbands, Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your husbands. Even if they didn't believe, they'd be won by what they see inside of you. Husbands, understand your wife. Treat her with respect. Christian marriages and Christian homes ought to be noticeably different than the world's because we walk a different walk. We're walking in step with the Spirit. He's directing my path. I'm not in this for me. I'm looking to the interests of another person. The most obvious place that I want to reveal that is in the homes. I've seen guys treat other women better than their own wives. I've seen women nicer to other men than their own husbands. I've seen parents nicer to the neighbor's kids than their own kids, and vice versa. So many sons are growing up and learning to be takers and not givers, seeing women as objects instead of someone to serve. Peter reminds us, as he finishes in verse 7, of this exceptional privilege we have as partners in marriage, to be joint heirs of the grace of life, equal recipients of all the blessings of heaven. The line's not going this way. The line is this way in a marriage relationship, equal recipients of all the blessings of heaven. So concerned is God about that flow, about that process. So concerned is God about all of those things that he wants to pour out on us many of them through the channel of prayer, that he concludes by saying, don't let anything ever hinder that flow of blessing. 
So concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding way where his wife is treated with love and respect, treated like a precious vase, that he interrupts his relationship with us if we're not doing it his design way. Fascinating way he ends that verse. In your sermon notes, no husband should should expect an effective prayer life if he's not treating his wife in an understanding way. Treating her with honor and respect as God designed it. No husband should expect an effective prayer life if he's not treating his wife in an understanding way. Treating her with honor and respect as God designed it. Now, is every unanswered prayer as a result of the fact that you haven't treated your wife as God designed it? Not necessarily so, so don't misinterpret that. All he's saying is there's a huge parallel between how I treat my mate and what God says and how God answers and how God's responding to my prayers. So what I have to decide, you have to decide, and all of us have to decide is what kind of marriage do we want? One that was designed as God designed it or one that you designed? That's for all of us to decide. And the biggest issue is the answer. Our desire here at Community Alliance Church is to see you transformed by faith in Christ, by sharing information, but it's, it's way more than just information. Our heart's desire and passion is that it changes you, that it's more than just information that we share on a Sunday morning and sermon notes that you've filled out, but it's information that really does change your life. To see you continually growing in that process is why we give you so many opportunities for Sunday school classes on marriage and Series 33 and just the list is endless of things that are offered on there, couples and, and, and relationships. To be intentional in relationships, which means I'm going to have to work at this. It's not going to come naturally. But ultimately, the, the decision of any of that is yours and mine. We can't make you. We can't force you. You and I... All of us have to decide. I have to decide. You have to decide. What do we want to do with this great gift God has given us called marriage? And what do we want to pass along to the next generation? I trust that it's a marriage that God designed and one that you want to see instill in the next generation. Let me pray for you. Father, again, I, I'm, your word is amazing. I've read this so many times. And these weeks that I've been looking at this material just fascinate me how relevant and true it is in regards to our life right now today. Thousands of years after it was written, I see so many who don't apply your word, struggle with the things that are obvious that have been in print (laughs) in dozens of translations for hundreds and hundreds of years. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up marriages here to you this morning. It'd be easy to say if you want a godly marriage, stand and make a commitment to God. and, and, And many would do that. Some out of intimidation, some because they really do want that. But, Father, more than just simply raising our hand or standing, it's a life's choice. It's decisions we make beyond this room. It's the impact we have. So, God, I just ask that in these closing quiet seconds that you will hear our hearts. As every one of us express to you who are married or preparing for marriage to say, that's what I want really do want that. God, give me the courage to go after it with everything I have.